Good morning. We're going to continue this morning in the book of Habakkuk. And so if you would like to turn there, we'll be in Habakkuk uh, chapter 3 this morning. If you're willing and able, we stand as we read together God's word. Chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to the Shigonoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you. And your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of His praise. His brightness was like the light rays flashed from His hand. And there He veiled His power. Before Him went pestilence and the plague followed at His heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. And then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of cushion and affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and the raging waters swept on and the deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. And yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. And yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is God's word. It's without error in any part. It's given for our good and for his glory. Let us pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we come now as we open your word and ask that you would use your word this morning. Use it to transform us, to grow our hearts to strengthen our faith. Renew Your hope in us this morning. By the power of Your Spirit and Your Word. We pray this in the name of Christ Jesus, our Savior. Amen. You can take a seat. So we're continuing uh, in Habakkuk. If you're with us, the, this is you know, your first week with us, or you've only been visiting for a few weeks. We've been going through Habakkuk. This is the fourth week. And uh, it's the last chapter. This is it. We're done after this. 
Uh, Harry's back in town. He'll pick up with John uh, again next week. Um, and this is, this is it. I'm sad and excited at the same time. Um, but we're in Habakkuk, and, and we've been asking this question, how do we walk by faith in the world that we inhabit? In the world that we live in, what does it look like for us to walk by faith in, in the face of tragedy and struggle, in the face of, of sin and the effects of sin? How do we walk by faith? It's a question that we ask because it's the question that Habakkuk answers. This is a book that's centered around his complaints. His first complaint about the injustice and the violence and, uh, of, of the nation of Judah and their leadership and how they have, are just terrible leaders. That they've corrupted and perverted even the, the systems of law and worship that were there for God's people. And God answers him. And Habakkuk's second complaint is really a complaint about the, the first answer. I don't like your answer, he says. And I think that's something that we often say when God answers our complaints. And Habakkuk gives us a picture of what does it look like to walk by faith as he remembers God's sovereignty as, as he declares to himself the truth of who God is, as he looks and waits and watches for God to deliver his people, for God to provide justice in the world, as he turns to God's word, as we do this morning. Last week, we, we looked at the woes that God pronounced over Babylon, and they lead us to woe. They lead us to standing in silence before a God who sits on his throne and this morning, we, we come to a, the end of the book, but it's also different from the rest of the book. Chapters 1 and 2 are his oracle that he's being given by God. They're the prophecy. And chapter 3 is his response to the prophecy. This is a prayer, it says, the very beginning of chapter 3. It's a prayer of Habakkuk. This is no longer an oracle of God to him. This is now a prayer of Habakkuk. And so it changes the very nature of the text for us. It's no longer prophecy, it's now his prayer. It's his response to all that God has shown him. And it's a response, and I hope you heard it while we were reading. It's a prayer that's full of hope. Did you hear the hope while we were reading it? Probably not. I didn't either the first time I read it or the sixth or seventh time I read it either. But it's a prayer of hope. And it's a prayer that, that I think if we look at what he's doing, it also leads us to hope. And we're people, if we're honest with ourselves this morning, that desperately need hope. Many of us are here and our, our tanks are running low. It's either been a tough day or a tough week or a tough month or a tough year or a tough decade. Just the, the, the difficult providences of God in our lives. We were just in the parenting class and we were talking about uh, leading our, our kids to the cross and, and leading them in the faith. And we talked about one of the ways that we do that is by, by helping them chase their fears and anxieties down the rabbit holes. And when we get to the bottom of the rabbit hole, we remind them even there that God is with them. And that's what we need this morning because that's hope. That if God is with us at the, the end of the, the rabbit hole, he's with us always. And this is a story of that. And this isn't, you know, we, we look for hope in all kinds of places. We do. We look for, it's why we're so attracted to, to politics and politicians because they provide us with some hope. They, they, they give us 
a little bit of glimmer that things could be different. It's why when we walk into the, the Barnes and Noble and, and there's the, the whole table of self-help books, we get excited about picking up one that, that may address a problem that we're struggling with because I can fix it myself if I just follow the plan. It's why we're, we're, we're so quick to follow and listen to, to preachers and pastors even when they have theology that's bonkers. Right? I mean, Robert Schuller, who was for years upon years the, the, the preacher at the Crystal Palace in California, his theology was bonkers. I mean, he's the father of, of positive thinking, that if you can just think it into being, it'll happen. It doesn't work like that. I've been thinking myself into a millionaire for years, and I don't have millions yet. I've been thinking my daughter into potty training, and it's not happened yet. It doesn't work, but even in their bonkers theology, people tuned in to listen by the thousands and the hundreds of thousands and the millions even. Why? Because he had words of hope. And we cling to them and we search for them and we bounce between different things. It's like a game. You play that game like hot and cold when you were a kid. You'd have like an object. You have to like blindfold yourself and you'd have to walk around the room feeling for it. And your classmates would go hotter, hotter, no colder. And you're, we live life like that looking for hope. We live life like that, looking for hope. And this morning, Habakkuk instructs us where to look for hope. And it's not a game of hot and cold. He is very clear with us this morning on where to find this hope. And it's hope that we desperately need. It's hope that we need that, that we know that our God is going to be there with us always. That, that when those dark providences come, when those difficulties come, when, when the phone rings and it's a doctor and he says it is cancer. That we know our God is with us. That, that, that when we miscarry, we know our God is with us. When our children go off the rails, we know our God is with us. When we lose our job and we go without one for six and 12 and 18 months, we know our God is with us. When we've already overdrawn the bank account and the bills are piled up, we know our God is with us. We need to know that. And Habakkuk tells us where to look this morning to have that kind of hope. Not just that, that folksy, I hope so hope, but, but sound hope that's built on a sure foundation. He tells us to look in four directions, four places to look. He tells us to look back. He tells us to look around us. He tells us to look forward, and ultimately he tells us to look up. So let's look at our text together this morning. He tells us to look back. This is actually a, a, a prayer, but it's also a song. We know it's a song because of the language that bookends the text. Verse 1, this language of the Shiganoth, we don't, we don't know what that means. We, we know it's either an instrument or a style of music. And uh, we see it in the Psalms. Psalm 7, it, it has this same language. And at the very end of the passage, it says what? That this is to the choir master. And it is with stringed instruments. So this is his prayer but in hopes of us learning to sing it. That it be used by God's people in worship together. So that as they sing it, they're reminded of these things that he has written. As he looks back and sings this song, and I'm going to tell you, I, I tried to figure out like the English, how to put it to a tune and sing it. You know, Harry, every once in a while, I'll bring the banjo up and sing a song. I was trying to do that this Sunday. It's a difficult passage to put to music. And I, I looked in the, the Hebrew and thought, like, at least you won't know what I'm saying if I butcher it at that point. 
but I couldn't do it then either. I don't know about you, but when the, the, the darkest hour is upon me, when the, when the hardest thing I can think of, when the, the, the worst thing imaginable is bearing down on me, this is not the song I think I'm going to turn to. You know, he's singing this song as the Babylonians in their chariots and in their, their war are, are running through Judah. They're knowing the destruction of God's judgment upon them. And this is the song he gives. I'm thinking like, you know, let's get like Kenny Loggins and the Danger Zone queued up or like Inner Sandman Metallica or like, you know, something that's going to get my blood going so I'm ready to fight. And he's saying, let's sing this song. What's your song? What do you turn to in those times of, of dark providences? What do you turn to when things are hard? What do you turn to when, when sin and the effects of sin are pressing in around you? And I think often we want to turn to, you know, seeing Taylor Swift shake it off and just move on like it doesn't exist, but it doesn't work. And he tells us to look back. He tells us to take up this song so that we can put into our hearts the work that God has done. Right? He, he starts in verse um, 3. God came from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. Teman means He came from the south. Mount Paran, if you aren't familiar with that mountain, it's the mountain that the twelve spies were on as they were about to, to go into the promised land to scout it out. He's, he's situating us geographically in, in the Negev, in, in the area between Egypt and the Promised Land. And he's doing it on purpose. Because as he puts us there, he also wants us to go there chronologically. He wants us to remember what happened there. That's why he's telling us to look back. He wants us to, to look back and remember what God has done. So as he puts us in this place... We have to remember the things that God has done there. He's looking back and he's creating for God's people a scrapbook that will remind them of all the times that God showed up. Because what happened in that land between Egypt and the promised land? Well, by day there was a pillar of smoke and by night there was a pillar of fire that led God's people. And as they made camp, they built the tabernacle in the midst of them and God's glory dwelt there. He's reminding them that, that in the hardest thing they had done as a nation to that point, that God was with them, that God's glory was with them, that God was leading them and, and preserving them, that God was caring for them. And he's going to do that now. He doesn't just situate them there. He then begins to remind them of other things. Right after the... the uh, that he says his splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light rays flashed from his hand and there he veiled his power. It's language that rings of Exodus 19 and Mount Sinai when God's glory covered the mountain. So he's been with them. He's shown you his glory. And then he goes on in verse 5 and he says, Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He's brought justice. He used the plagues to deliver you from the hand of slavery. But it wasn't just Egypt that the plagues were visited upon. It was God's own people at times. When they disobeyed him, when they sinned against him, he would times use plague and pestilence, right? We, we know in, in Numbers 12 with Miriam that that happened. She disobeyed against God. 
He's reminding God's people as they look back that God's justice will be visited upon those who sin against God, who, who, who threaten us as His people. He stood and measured the earth and looked and shook the nations and the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. And I saw the tents of cushion and affliction. The, the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. The nations have seen His power. The earth shook as the walls fell. Do you not remember? Do you not remember? And so sing the song. Let it fill your mouth that it may rest in your heart. Verse 8. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horse, on your chariot of salvation? He's thinking of the Red Sea when it parted and God's people walked across and as Egypt got there, it crushed in around them. Or when he backed up the Jordan so that they could walk into the promised land. He is giving them marker after marker after marker, Ebenezer after Ebenezer after Ebenezer to remind them of God's work in their lives, God's work as their God. His power, His glory, His justice, His might. All the times He's shown up for them. What are the Ebenezers of your life? When times are tough, when you are feeling the world bear down on you, when sin and the effects of sin have come to rest in your home, in your heart, when there's suffering, what are the places that you look back to to remind you of the goodness of God? Where are the places that you look back to to remind you that, that God will deliver you? What's in your scrapbook? I know mine, or one of mine. She's um, almost three. She's uh, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, spunky. And um, she's beautiful. And even in my greatest anger and frustration with her, I'm reminded of God's goodness. So we had Hatley Grace, and we wanted a large family. We wanted more kids. So we did the things necessary to have more kids. And kids didn't come. And we went to the doctor, and the doctor said, take this medicine. This, will, this is what you need. And we took the medicine. And kids didn't come. So we went back to the doctor, and he said, take this medicine. And we were an hour and a half away from our doctor. We, we lived in the middle of nowhere in Florida. And our, our, our specialist was in Orlando. So we drove to Orlando. And they, they would normally say, you need to come into the, the office for us to do this, these shots. I was like, I can't, we can't drive an hour and a half. Like, we don't have the money to pay for the shots, much less the, the trip back and forth all the time. And he's like, well, we'll teach you how to do them. So I, I had to give the shots. And we did the shots. And kids didn't come. July 31st, 2016. It's a big day for you all, I know. Wait, wait till you know. It's the day that I started working here at Sycamore. It's my first day. And I was in my office, and Meredith said, can, can, can Hatley Grace and I come to lunch? Absolutely. Nobody really knows I'm here yet. Nobody's, you know, I'm still unpacking things. We got all the time in the world. Absolutely. Come on up for lunch. I knew they had been baking cookies that morning. I was excited, maybe. 
to have some, some fresh chocolate chip cookies. And she showed up and she had a little one of those like Chinese takeout boxes and it was, uh, it was blue, a little baby blue. And I thought, oh, like she brought me some cookies. And I opened it up. And it wasn't cookies. It wasn't lunch. It was, it was seven pregnancy tests. And they were all positive. And um, I threw them and went, went crazy and excited. And, but here's the thing. Is when I look at Mary Margaret, it's not God's faithfulness to us that he gave us another child. She's actually a testimony to, to me of the months, of the months when those tests came back negative. Because he sustained us. And he reminded us time and time again of his love for us and his care for us, even in the midst of our desires not being answered. We need those moments in our lives where we see God's hand at work, where we see God's faithfulness to us, where we see his steadfast love. We need to make memories of them. So that when, when the hard times come, we can look back and say, he did it then, he will do it now. We may not look the same, but we know that he's faithful. We, we, we know that he's powerful. We know that he's good. What's in your scrapbook? He also says to not only look back, but to look around. To look around us, right? Verses 9 to 13 are, are, are him recounting things that he's seeing. The, the, the very creation screams to him that he can hope in God, right? The, verse 10, the mountains saw you in rhythm. The, the, the raging waters swept on. The, the deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. You split the earth with rivers. He, he's speaking of the creation of the world, that the, the God of Israel, that, that the God of the universe is their God, and He has the power to, to push the mountains into place, and to, to call with His voice things into creation. And so Habakkuk's saying, look, look at the creation around you. Look that, that our God created this with just His voice out of chaos. He says, take your hope in that. That God, that power, it's one of my favorite things about being out in nature. My favorite things. Because you can go out and it gets dark and you get away from the city and, and the lights and there's a bazillion stars. And you feel about this big. You feel about this big. And it, it's, it's one of the most comforting things to me. Because I get to look up at the heavens, I get to look up at the beauty, and I get to say, that's the work of my God. The creator of the universe. The giver of life. The one who holds me in his hand. Did this. And I'm the crown of creation. It's not just that he created things, it's that at times he even uses creation to care for his people providentially. Verses 11 and and 12 are actually speaking of a very specific event. A very specific event. It says, The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. And you marched through the earth in fury and you threshed the nations in anger. And the sun stood still. 
The sun stood still. Well, that sounds a lot like Joshua 10. That sounds a lot like the sun standing over Gibeon. It sounds a lot like God holding the sun in the sky and then going out before his people, right? I mean, it's not just that they stood still. It's that the light of your arrows as they sped at the flash of your glittering spear, you marched through the earth in fury. What's he reminding Israel of? God fought for you. God fought for you, Israel. God fought for you. He'll fight for you again. Don't be afraid of Babylon. Our God will hold the sun in the sky and he will fight for us. You have not been abandoned. Hope in the God who fights for you. Look and remember that it's your God by his power who created all these things. It's not just we look back. It's not just that we look around, but it's also that we look forward. We look forward. Verses 13 to 15, it says, uh, You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the head of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. Sounds a lot like something that happened in the past, right? It's all past tense. In the Hebrew, it's all past tense. Have you ever been so sure something's going to happen that when you spoke of it, even though it was in the future, you spoke of it in the present or the past tense? It happens with teenagers all the time. Um, or at least it used to. I think it's not, it's not in vogue anymore. Um, but but you, would, you would have something that they might be interested in doing. An, an event, or you were going to go do something really fun, and their response would be like, I'm there. Just this, this declarative statement of they were, they were there. It's like, no, it's not happened yet. You, you will be there. You'll be there, right? It's not. But what were they doing? They were so certain of their attendance that they were speaking of it as if it was already happened. That's what's happening here. Habakkuk is so sure of something that's going to happen in the future that he's speaking of it as if it's already happened in the past. He's so certain in God's promises that he's not even going to to leave it out there that it might happen or it it can happen, but that it has happened. Well, what has happened? Well, we, we see this language and it says that he crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from neck to thigh. Well, keep looking back as he's been doing, we're going to remember that in Genesis 3, the first promise is what? That the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. It's not talking about the snake. It's talking about evil itself. That the seed of the woman is going to crush evil. It's going to destroy evil. And so what Habakkuk is talking about in certainty is that time when, when God's Redeemer is going to come and he is going to crush the evil one. Well, folks, we don't look back to this. We don't look forward to it. We don't look forward to this. We look back to this. The warrior has come. The warrior has come. Christ entered the world as the incarnate Son of God. He came and He walked this earth and lived a perfect, sinless life. And He went to the cross to bear our sin. And He, he, he willingly gave Himself up. And He was buried 
and he was raised. You see, Habakkuk was looking forward to that moment. Habakkuk was looking forward to Christ on the cross when when the head of the serpent would be crushed, when evil would be ended and be undone and be laid bare. And we look back at that. We look back at the cross because Christ has come. He has crushed the head. And we look forward now to his return. We look forward now to that glorious day when the trump will sound and he will return with all of the saints and the angels to rule the new heavens and the new earth when when all the last vestiges of evil are wiped away and his glory fills the earth. We look forward to to that day. And just as he, he helped the people of Israel have hope as they were looking back earlier because they were in the that not quite to the, to the promised land? Well, neither are we. We, we live in a, in a time of in-betweens, the, the already and the not yet. Christ has already been to the cross. Our, our sins have already been paid for. His kingdom has been brought, but it's not here all the way. And so in this, this time, this season of life that we're in, we look back at the cross and we look forward to His return and hope grows in us there it's not just back it's not just around it's not just forward but ultimately it is up verse 16 is is one of the most honest verses someone's written Habakkuk says what I, I hear and my body trembles My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. What's happening? What's Habakkuk describing? He's having a panic attack. He's having a panic attack. He can barely stand. His legs are shaking. His lips quivering. He's so fearful. Why? Because Babylon is is coming. They're there. The the chariots are are, going to run them over. He hears them. His lips quiver. His legs shake. He hasn't turned on the fighting music yet. We, 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 we have these same kind of moments where fear grips us or, or anxiety grips us or shame grips us or guilt grips us. And how do we respond? Well, how does Habakkuk respond? He says, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Yet I will quietly wait for what? For God's deliverance. Yet I will wait for the sovereign, just Lord to work. Even in his fear, even in his anxiety, even in those moments where where he's so undone, he says, what? I will wait patiently for what God has promised. We're in that already not yet. That's where we're at waiting patiently for the promises of God. He looks up. Verse 17, it continues, it says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, the fields yield no food, and the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Talk about scarcity. It's war. Babylonians are bigger and stronger, and they're going to take everything. They're going to be hungry. It's not going to be food in the field. It's, it's material scarcity. 
It's real. You may not have moments in your life where you're wondering where your next meal is going to come from. But it's not just that it's material scarcity. It's the fact that, that all in, in, in all of our lives, things are breaking down. Your body's breaking down. You can't do the things that you did when you were a teenager or a 20-year-old. I'm not as old as many of you in this room, but I, I, I know that to be true. I played a game of basketball now or a game of soccer, and I need to like, have a sports massage and a day in the hot tub the next day. Like There's not enough icy hot in the world. And it's not just physical, it's emotional. We don't have the resiliency that we have in our youth any longer. Right? You, all the, the risks that you're willing to take as a 20-year-old, a 25-year-old, and a 30-year-old, you don't take those risks when you're 60 or 65. Might be because you learned your lessons already, but it's also, you just don't have the emotional resiliency to get back up all the time. We, we, we live in a world that has fallen and broken. We live in a world where everything has been affected by sin. And there's scarcity. And there's the, the fleeting strength of our bodies and our minds. And what does Habakkuk say? Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He looks up. He looks up. As the worst thing imaginable is coming, rushing at him, he looks up. Because his strength is in the Lord. His hope is in God. He's waiting patiently for the justice that God has promised to be delivered upon them. Where are you looking? Are you looking up? And we, we live in a world today that we know is broken. We live in a world today where there is a lot of uncertainty. I, I, just this, this week, my, my mother-in-law called um, to ask how we were doing. She was worried. Because if you didn't notice, the Commonwealth of Virginia has made the, the, the national news. Not just, you know, the, the local news, but, but the national news. Because there's some big bugaloo happening downtown tomorrow. And, and her question was, what's happening? Are y'all, are y'all okay? Are you, you safe? And my response was, I still have my guns. We're fine. <laughs> but that's the thing is that my strength's not in those. My strength is in the Lord. My strength is in God. And his presence in my life. And his promises that he has shown again and again and again throughout my life to keep. To be faithful to. And so when, when, when the hardest thing I could imagine begins to press in around me. When it begins to press in around you, we are called to look up. To look up. To Christ our Savior who is seated at the right hand of the Father that he might Make our feet like deers. That he might give us peace and joy. That we would walk in the high places. That's what he's promising. And that's what he gives. Let us pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for the hope that we have in Christ our Savior. We thank you that you are a God who is full of power and majesty. 
that you are a God who shows up. But you're actually a God who's always with us, ever present. Even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, there you lead us. Lord, remind us, encourage us of your ever-present spirit has been given to us. That we might find hope even when the hardest thing imaginable is staring us down. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.